0: This morning, I want to take a break from our series, God's Story, Our Story, and do a standalone message that I've entitled, The Purpose of God's People. As we begin a new ministry year, we begin a new school year, as summer draws to a close, I want us to be reminded of the very distinct purpose that God has called his people to. And to do so, I want us to look at a passage in Deuteronomy Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9, and then look ahead to verses 20 through 23. This passage contains what is known as the Shema. The word Shema means here, and you'll see the word here twice in the passage. When God says here, we listen. It is a wake-up call to the people of God concerning their very distinct purpose and mission in life. And as we move through our wilderness, just as the people of God were moving through their wilderness experience in Deuteronomy, I think it's important that we go back and are reminded of the calling that God has placed on the lives of the people of God. Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Now this is the commandment the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may go to do them in the land to which you're going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and commandments which I commanded you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them that it may go well with you, And that you will multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing of milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates, verse 20. And when your son asks in time, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes, and he brought us out there from there that we might bring, that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers, and the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord It stands forever. Amen. At the beginning of the 1961 football season, legendary coach Vince Lombardi stood in front of his team. It was following a disappointing loss to the great Philadelphia Eagles in the NFL championship. (laughs) And as he was standing before the Green Bay Packers, he simply said this, gentlemen, this is a football, not the thing you would need to say to professionals who play the game. And then he took them out, and he said, and these are sidelines, and these are the end zones, and it's your job to take this football from one end of the field to the other. They went on to win the championship that year. But what was Coach Lombardi trying to communicate? And all of the noise and distractions outside of football, you've lost focus on what football is all about. You've lost focus on the ultimate purpose. You've lost focus of the fundamentals. I'm afraid the Church of Jesus Christ in the 21st century is listening too much to the noise out there and is becoming distracted from the ultimate purpose that God has given us. Remember the context, the people of God here in Deuteronomy are between two lands. They're between the land that they've been rescued from, the land of bondage, Egypt, and they're heading to the promised land, a taste and a picture of heaven and the kingdom of God. But in between, they're in the wilderness and in the fog of the wilderness and in the midst of uncertainty and not knowing what lies ahead, God used this passage in particular to wake them up, to not be distracted, and to remind them of the very distinct purpose of the people of God. And I pray this morning briefly that we would be reminded in the midst of the wilderness, in the midst of all of the chatter and noise out there, we would be reminded of our very special purpose and calling as the people of God. So what is our purpose as the king's people? The first thing I want to identify in this passage is that our purpose is to have a life centered on God. In verse four, we are told that the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There's two words in that one verse that communicate. The God centeredness of the lives of the people of God. By virtue of saying that the God who calls you is Lord, was an audacious statement. Pharaoh was Lord. The great kings of the earth were Lord. God is Lord. But it was to speak to the sovereign authority that God, this God, that is speaking to them, was to have over their lives that God was not just simply a part of your life, but the God and the truth of God was to be at the bottom of your life in the sense of the ballast of your soul. He was to be at the bottom of your soul that God is not just a piece, but he is the whole. And he is the foundation at the bottom in which all life exists, in which all truth comes from. And then when he says, this God is one, Remember, he's bringing them out of a pluralistic society, full of gods and idols, and leading them into a pluralistic society in Cana, full of gods and idols, and God wants to make sure his people understand that this God is Lord, and there's only room for one, and that you are to center your life upon the truth that there is a God, and he is Lord, and he is one. One. This is what defines all of life. This is what gives all life meaning, that we will not be able to understand life and purpose and this world and each other and our future destiny until we ground our lives and center our lives on God's word. Speaking of Christian schools, do you know that every school is religious? There's no such thing as a non-religious school. Whether you send your kids to elementary school or you send your kids off to college, every single school is teaching your child a worldview and a philosophy of life. Every school is teaching your child a worldview and defining truth for them. The question is whether it will be the truth that the Lord, our God, is one and that we are to center our lives upon that truth. Or that they can define truth and reality. But make no mistake, every school is religious. The question is, what is the philosophy of life that they are teaching the next generation? In verse 5, we are told that this truth that God is one is to so center and ground our lives that it's to affect everything. Verse 5. It should cause you to love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and might. It's all encompassing. It is the truth that grounds the totality of your existence, that you will not understand truth and meaning and purpose and this world without this glorious truth. We live in a culture that takes Christianity and says it is not objective, it is subjective. See, we don't do that with the law of gravity. We say the law of gravity, it's objective. We say George Washington is the first president of the United States. That's objective. But make no mistake, we live in a cultural moment where Christianity is treated subjectively. It's treated like Girl Scout cookies. I like the Thin Mints and you like the Samoa. The first service had to remind me of of that cookie. But it's as simple as that. Your preference is for Christianity. My preference is for another religion. Your preference is defining truth this way. My preference is for defining truth that way. And it's our responsibility to be a church and to be the people of God that says, no, we do not define what is true. God defines what is true. And it is our job to take the truth of this God, the truth, the objective truth of this God, in a lost and dying world. It is the foundation of truth. The people of God to understand your purpose is to understand that you are called to have a life centered on God and God alone. The second thing I want to point out in this passage, that the people of God are called to a life that is fully shaped by God's word. We are to take this truth about the reality of God, that God is Lord and that he alone is is to be the center of our lives. And we are to take this truth, the truth found in God's word, and use it to shape all of our lives. Look what happens in verses six through nine. It talks about the totality of the word of God shaping all of life. Verse six or verse seven, for instance, it talks about this word being talked about where? At the house and along the way. Not sprinkled a few minutes in the morning and a few minutes at night, but in the house and along the way is to communicate in private and in public. My private life is shaped by the word of God. My public life is shaped by the word of God in my home and along the way. Verse 8 talks about the hand and the mind. It's talking about not only what we do, our actions, but how we think, our beliefs. Having the mind of Christ, taking every thought captive that the word of God shapes what we do and the word of God shapes what we believe. But it doesn't end there. Verse 9, in the home and at the city gates, how we raise our family what we define as true in our family, what our values are as a family, what our convictions are, but how we take that truth and go shape culture at the city gates all of life. Do you understand this calling for the people of God? That there is not one area, it is all-encompassing that we take the truth of God, found in his word, and it shapes everything privately and publicly, how we think and how we act, our home and in culture. This is our responsibility as a church, whether you have children or not, to ensure that we have a church that is raising up the next generation to see the truth of God's word as all-encompassing for every area of life. Barna Research surveyed parents, Christian parents in North America, and they were asked, how do you think you're doing in the spiritual development of your children? Let's see what the statistics said. 97% of Christian parents in North America think they are succeeding in the spiritual development of their children. Of course, we think we're nailing it. What's the reality? Next statistic. 59% of children raised in Christian homes will disconnect from their faith by age 15. Church, we're not nailing it. We are seeing the greatest exodus by the next generation in the church that the world has ever seen. We are not nailing it by any stretch of the imagination. And as influential as parents are, In this moment in history, the culture is more influential. And we have failed to show this next generation the relevance of God to all things. We have failed to show the next generation a Christianity that is all-encompassing. We have failed to model a life and a faith lived under the lordship of Christ. And we're paying the price for it, because we've forgotten in the noise and the distractions of this world, what our purpose is? To take the truth of God's word, to shape it in all of life. So what is the life we've been called to? A life centered on God, a life shaped by his word, and lastly, we're told here in this passage, a life surrendered to the mission of God. In verse one, we're reminded where they're going These are a people on the move. Remember, they're in between Egypt and Cana, the land of bondage and slavery, and they're going to the land of promise. But they're in between on the wilderness, but they are on mission. It's never a picture of the people of God stationary or staying in one place. They are on a journey. What's our journey? What's our mission? We have been rescued from the spiritual bondage of slavery in spiritual Egypt and we are on our way to the spiritual promised land, the new heavens and the new earth, but in between God has positioned us in the wilderness not to retreat, but to engage and to surrender to the mission that God has called us to. And in verse 3, we find out exactly what we're called to do. Hear, therefore, O Israel, be careful to do them that it might go well with you and that you might multiply greatly. Where have we seen that word multiply before? In the very first pages of scripture, in the cultural mandate. The very first commission given to Adam and Eve in Genesis 1 verse 28 is to go out from this garden and expand the kingdom and be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is God once again through Moses reiterating this commission, reiterating the mandate to take the glory of God, to take the good news of the kingdom, to take the truth of the gospel and go multiply this. Until the whole world is full of the glory of God. This is what the king's people do. We take the good news of the kingdom and we take it into the chaos of our world. And through evangelism and cultural engagement, we multiply citizens of this kingdom. We populate the kingdom of God to declare to the world that our God is on the throne and he is a king. And he has come to make all things new. What if I announce this morning that Coleridge Presbyterian Church has a new strategy? And this is our strategy for our mission. Beginning tomorrow, we are going to send missionaries out. But we're not going to send them overseas. We're going to send them into your office, into the schools, into your neighborhoods. And that's how we're going to accomplish our mission. That's what we've already been doing. This is already the mission that God has established. That we would see ourselves as missionaries every single day waking up with a distinct and holy purpose and calling to go into our businesses, to go into our neighborhoods, to go into our schools, to be present even in our homes. To take the good news of the kingdom, surrendered to the mission, and co-labor with God to advance his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. But the question is this, why? What would move us? What would stir us to this mission? I love how the Bible anticipates the question. Did you catch it in verse 20? Every parent can resonate. The son one day will ask you, the parent, this question, why are we obeying all these rules? Why do we have to do this? Why do we have to live as a distinct people? Why do we have to go to church on Sunday morning? Why do we have to live as holy people set apart, following all of these rules and regulations? Don't you love how the Bible anticipates that? One day your child will ask you, and I love the answer, you will turn in verse 21. To your son and say, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt and the Lord brought us out with his mighty hand. It is the story of redemption. You see, it is God saying it is the story of God's redemption communicated from generation to generation that will motivate this next generation to participate and surrender to the audacious calling of being a citizen of the kingdom of God. It is the calling and it is calling to mind that glorious story of redemption that God has rescued us with his mighty hand. He has rescued us out of bondage and brought us to life. And that is the motivation. We have seen God's hand upon us and we have seen him rescue us. But you could not tell the story of the Passover being delivered from Egypt without telling the story of the Passover lamb. And it would be the sacrificial lamb, the story of that lamb being slaughtered, the innocent Passover lamb that would bring them out of bondage and into freedom. And the people of God would tell that story every Passover until when? Until the great Passover lamb would come, Jesus Christ. And it would be through the fulfillment of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that great Passover lamb for the people of God that would move us and motivate us to this grand and glorious vision and purpose to be a part of the calling in the kingdom of God. This is our mission. This is our purpose, to tell the story from one generation to the next, to recruit and employ and commission kingdom citizens for the sake and the glory of the kingdom. Do you know this story? Maybe you're here today and you've never encountered this Jesus. You've never surrendered your life to the Lordship of Christ because you've never surrendered your life to the one who has come, that lived the perfect life, who died in your place and was raised from the dead for your forgiveness. And I would invite you to freely come to freely come to Jesus this morning and commit your life to the lordship of Christ and be a part of the most exciting, the most glorious purpose and mission this world has ever seen. You can come freely to him, not on the basis of anything you've done or anything you've brought to the table, but simply according to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Have you submitted and surrendered your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in all things. Tom was a father of five, married, successful doctor, but he felt the Lord stirring in his heart to use his vocation for redemptive purposes. And he felt himself being called. To to go out and to partner with a missions organization overseas, to use his skills and his talent and his gifts to advance the kingdom in the suffering regions of the third world. But it would require him to be away for nine months. And he brought his family together, and he was lamenting the the wrestling that was happening in his heart and his soul. And he was talking about how this was going to require so much sacrifice. And all he could do is look his children in the eye and apologize over and over and over again. And his little five-year-old daughter stepped forward and said, Dad, why are you apologizing? I can think of something far greater than a dad who is absent. A dad who does not listen to the calling of God on his life. What did his daughter want? To see her dad captured and surrendered to the lordship of Christ in all things. To be sent out into the mission of God. So I ask you in closing... What is your purpose? What is your calling? There is nothing more critical, nothing more glorious, nothing more satisfying than co laboring with God in the mission of God to take his kingdom out from this place into the brokenness and darkness of this world. Can I challenge you with something? Very practically. Three things I want you to evaluate in the next three weeks. I want you to evaluate first your time. I want you to honestly evaluate your time and say, look at my schedule and my calendar. Is my time a reflection of a life surrendered to the mission of God? Second thing, I want you to look at your finances and say, can I honestly say that my finances, the things I spend money on when I write that check, that it's surrendered to the mission of God. And third, I want you to evaluate your talents and your gifts and honestly say, are my gifts and talents that God has given me being stewarded well, not for my glory, but for the glory of the King in a complete evaluation of our time, talent, and treasures, honestly asking ourselves, are they surrendered to the mission? I hear a lot of Christians right now complaining about the culture. I don't see many willing to do what it takes, to go out and to make a difference by being different. Not many that are willing to surrender everything, to do whatever it takes to fulfill this mission on earth as it is in heaven. Our world is chaotic and broken and dark. But the story of the people of God from generation to generation is that we are the people that run towards it and not away from it, because we have the greatest news this world has ever heard. Therefore, we take it in to the chaos and the brokenness and the darkness and the evil so that our lives will have one purpose and one aim, the glory of the kingdom and the glory of the king.